yeah, you're good, you're good. Um, this is also my first time doing this setup uh, in this apartment, and my girlfriend has a cat who may or may not... Oh, right as I say that. And I have two dogs <gasps> who just are very, very needy. All so. good. Listen, if any animals make cameos, it is what it is. It's all good. Um, all right, I'm rolling here. Welcome back to the Fandom Handbook. I'm your host, Tony Pinella. This episode is part one of two in our roundtable discussion focusing on Batman in film. I realized I needed to be specific in the scope of this episode because in the case of Batman, as is also the case with many other prominent superheroes, there is so much content to cover from obviously comic books to video games, as well as numerous television series featuring Batman, a couple of which we lightly reference. But really, in order to focus the scope of this episode, I wanted this conversation to specifically highlight theatrically released films featuring Batman. And even that was enough content to fill a two-part episode, so I probably should just cut to the chase and not keep this intro going too long. I'm gonna give some light background on the character, and then we'll dive into this roundtable conversation featuring Zuri Washington and Garrett Murphy. Batman is a DC Comics superhero who debuted in March of 1939. He was created by artist Bob Kane and writer Bill Finger. Having existed for a little under a century now, it's likely that you're at least somewhat familiar with the basic premise of Gotham's caped crusader, even if only by cultural osmosis. There have been many retellings of the character's origin, but I'll quickly give you the most streamlined version. Gotham City, a fictional metropolitan area located in New Jersey, is rife with corruption and crime. Writer and editor Dennis O'Neill has compared Gotham's uneasy aura to, quote, Manhattan, below 14th Street, at 11 minutes past midnight on the coldest night in November, end quote. One fateful evening, tragedy strikes a prominent family in Gotham. On their way home from the movies, Thomas and Martha Wayne, along with their son Bruce Wayne, are held at gunpoint by a mugger. The wealthy couple are murdered right in front of their child. And from that point on, Bruce is raised by their butler, Alfred Pennyworth. Bruce dedicates his life to fighting crime in Gotham in order to save his city from the kind of evil that took away his parents. Over the years, he undergoes rigorous training in a wide variety of disciplines to become the masked vigilante known as Batman. This training includes his abilities as a detective, athletic abilities, including studying over 127 forms of martial arts, and expanding his scientific knowledge, as his vast wealth gives him access to the most advanced technology. The most iconic gear created for the Dark Knight includes his Batsuit, featuring an impressive utility belt, his primary vehicle, known as the Batmobile, and his headquarters, the Batcave, located beneath his residence of Wayne Manor. Since we are highlighting on-screen depictions of Batman, I should mention for context that prior to the films we are discussing, there was a very prominent television series in the 1960s, starring Adam West as Batman and Burt Ward as his young sidekick, the boy wonder Robin. It was a massive hit, much to the chagrin of many diehard comics fans. It's lightly referenced in our conversation, and I briefly mention it here, because the films we're discussing, especially the earlier releases, are in some ways a strong reaction to this goofy television depiction. If you've ever seen Batman and Robin address the importance of wearing a seatbelt or eating your vegetables, or if you've seen low-budget fight sequences featuring colorful pows and bams flash across the screen, or if you've heard the undeniably groovy theme Batman, then you've had a sufficient taste of how the public's perception of this character was influenced prior to the release of these darker, more source material accurate films. Our roundtable discussion about Batman will be released as a two-part episode. In this first half, we discuss the first Batman films released, starting in 1989 and continuing through the 1990s. This era features four movies with three different actors playing Bruce Wayne slash Batman. Michael Keaton, Val Kilmer, 
and George Clooney. We also discussed the three animated features that have been theatrically released, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, Batman the Killing Joke, and the Lego Batman movie, all of which are very different from each other. In part two, we will cover the highly esteemed Dark Knight trilogy, released from 2008 through 2012, featuring Christian Bale as Batman. We also discuss Batman's more recent appearances, as played by Ben Affleck, in the DC Cinematic Universe, as well as this year's brand new film, The Batman, starring Robert Pattinson as Bruce slash Batman. At the end of that episode is the Starter Pack segment, where we each give you a recommendation of three films that we feel best serves as an introduction to the character. Think of it as a litmus test to see if you even like Batman before investing too much time into this canon of films. So with that, let's jump into this first half of our roundtable discussion on Batman in film. Folks, I am here with my Batman roundtable. My first guest has her own podcast, Zuri Washington of Super Black. How are you doing today? I am here and I am a bat fan. So Bat fans love it, love it, love it. And I also have Garrett Murphy with me as well. Both new panelists to the podcast. How are you doing, Garrett? I'm doing good. I am also a Bat fan. There you go. Um, before we jump into the specifics of these movies, um, last episode when we talked about Spider-Man, I had a bunch of stories about having to dress up as comic book characters at birthday parties. And my main memory, for some reason, kids who have Batman as their birthday party character always want to fight him, which I never understood. <laughs> like, if I was Spider-Man, there was always these sweet interactions of like, I love you. You see this guy come up in a cape and cowl. <laughs> these kids just want to, like, pummel. And I don't, I mean, I guess, I guess that's what he's known for. I guess he, he can withstand a lot. And so... You it's the it's the it's the fake muscles on the suit. Truly, oh my they, goodness! They feel like you're invincible. I it didn't feel like that, but maybe it looked like that for sure. Oh my goodness! Um, I'd love to hear what your Batman origin story per se uh, was. Let's start with Zuri. Zuri, where did your love of Batman start? So it's it's hard to pinpoint an exact time frame, but that being said, I like I'm a '90s baby, so you know Tim Burton was the bee's knees, so to speak. <laughs> Nightmare Before Christmas is my favorite movie of all time. So Nightmare Before Christmas probably came out when I was like three or so. But when I was old enough to like think about Batman contextually, I just always remember Danny DeVito being the penguin. I oh, That's one of my go-to Batman memories is that giant duck that he would ride around on <laughs> and um, all the umbrellas and the craziness of Michelle Pfeiffer and the mayor, uh, Max, uh, whatever his oh, name is. Oh, goodness. Yes, yes, is that yes. that Christopher Walken? Yeah, Christopher yes. Walken. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, but Batman the Animated Series was the, like, the first concrete thing that I felt was mine and of my era um, that I remember. And I love Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman's music for the Batman series is just like... Ugh. And then I love the collaboration between him and Tim Burton, even though Tim Burton is slightly racist, but that's a whole other conversation on, oh, for an, another that, day. That I didn't know. I'll have to look into that. Goodness. He, he does not speak well about having people of color in his world. They don't fit his aesthetic. That, so, that oh, goodness. If you think through the Rolodex of, of worlds and characters, oh, yeah, that's unfortunate. Goodness. And, goodness or goodness. they're usually villains like Samuel L. Jackson in uh, Miss Peregrine's Home for Unfortunate Children, whatever. That is an unfortunate choice on his part. Goodness. Yeah. Man, but that I going back to that score though, I mean, it's it's definitely okay. one of those scores that um it just it's evocative of Gotham and of him. And I just think I, I don't think we have a lot of superhero themes like Batman's today. Not that I can remember and sing to you. <laughs> no. Um, jumping over to Garrett real quick. Garrett, what was your introduction to Batman and Gotham? Surprisingly, I think it would probably be Adam West. Either that or the animated series, because around the same time, I'm not sure if there were reruns of the Adam West, but there were definitely reruns of the animated series on, and I would watch those together. So I got two different <laughs> adaptations of Batman. Very different. Yeah. <laughs> it was just so different, and yet both the same thing and it really made like this oh there's these two different groups 
taking this idea and taking it with it in very different directions. Absolutely. I think that we're seeing that a lot in the superhero genre of, of media where there's so many different takes you can have on the same origin, on the same hero. It's, it's, it's very interesting for sure. So with that, I think I'm going to jump into the first movie. In 1989, Tim Burton directed the first theatrically released film simply titled Batman. As this is the first movie about the Dark Knight, it's oddly appropriate that we open on a Gotham City where Batman is fairly new to the scene. At the beginning of the film, two crooks speak in hushed tones, discussing if they've followed the recent bat attacks, or if they think this vigilante even exists. They soon come to find out he absolutely does, as they are soon confronted by Batman himself, as played by Michael Keaton. Meanwhile, a reporter named Vicki Vale, as played by Kim Basinger, has traveled to Gotham City so she can be on the ground as this Batman vigilante story unfolds. She also happens to be at the right party at the right time to hit things off with local billionaire Bruce Wayne. Little does she know that the man she's getting quite close to happens to be the alter ego of the vigilante she came to Gotham City to write about. As the story unravels, we also follow the journey of a man who begins as the right hand to a local crime boss. However, as he grows more and more powerful, he becomes increasingly violent and less and less sane as he slowly becomes the clown prince of crime himself, the Joker, as played by Jack Nicholson. So for newcomers to Batman as a character, what I think this movie does well is it paints a very vivid picture of Gotham and this dark, seedy criminal underbelly. You feel the shadow of that and you feel Batman's presence loom from the moment it starts and the whispers of, oh, that guy, he might be out tonight. You know, I, I, I think it does a really good job of setting that tone. Ironically, Batman doesn't focus on Batman much. Most of them don't. <laughs> it, that's the thing. That's the thing. And so I think this becomes a film about the Joker. You know, it's a very exciting interpretation of the Joker. Um, Zuri, do you want to jump in on uh, your thoughts on this first installment? Sure. It's funny because it's actually one of the last ones that I saw because I wasn't born yet. <laughs> I wasn't born yet. So I actually ended up seeing the second in that installment first, mm -hmm. and I and then I somehow skipped this one, hmm. and then I watched it during the pandemic, and I was like, oh, I haven't seen this movie. Yeah. <laughs> but um, and and my my partner was like, wait, how have you not seen this? And I was like, I don't know, I just I just skipped it, I guess. Um, which is funny because I love Jack Nicholson, of course. It's just like mm -hmm. you know, it's Jack Nicholson. But yeah. um, I enjoy it because I think uh, again, tone. Gotham is its own character. Mm. And tone is a huge part of Batman. And if you can't get the tone right and understand how intrinsic Gotham is to the Batman that you choose to put on screen or animate or whatever, then you miss a whole part of his character. And so I think that what Tim Burton, Tim Burton has a style. Mm -hmm. I could watch any movie and tell you if Tim Burton did or not. <laughs> very like, true. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he's one of very few directors that I could actually do that with. Tim Burton did a really great job because um, the 80s, I guess, or maybe the late 70s, but the 80s was like really when they started to be like, Batman's gritty. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get into this gritty, uh, like Gotham City is New York. Right. And as a native New Yorker, I was like, oh, I feel this. Like, the, uh, I can feel that. Right. And I feel like a big part of that grittiness, um, we, you know, references to Adam West earlier being acknowledged here. Uh, I think it was, from what I understand, partially a reaction to the fact that previous to this, we had a television series where the colors were bright and there were bangs and pows on the screen. And we went, oh, okay, this is this is one way to look at Batman, but we want to bring that darkness into it. And yes, I, I think Burton was a very good fit for that. Um, Garrett, your thoughts on this iteration? The most interesting aspect to me about this film, Batman isn't the focus. Mm. And it almost reminds me very loosely of Jaws. Now, hear me oh, out on this. Okay, okay. <laughs> Before you all go, I'm insane. <laughs> no, no, no. Although the film is called Jaws, and the shark, I don't even remember if it's called Jaws or not, is the focus of the film. I don't think they named the shark. I don't, I don't think. I don't, I, I'm pretty ever, sure. I don't remember. No, yeah. They, yeah. they probably don't. No. 
<laughs> I'm sure the fans have a name for the shark. That's that's probably fair. Sorry to the people in the Jaws fandom. We will get to your episode in the future. Uh, <laughs> yes. But while he's not the focus, he affects everything in it. Hmm. And when he does show up, it has that impact. Yeah. The opening of this film is so iconic to me because you barely see him until, oh my gosh, it's Batman. And then it's like, yeah, it's Batman. <laughs> I'm Batman. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's what always has stuck with me mostly about this film. And then, of course, Jack Nicholson is the Joker who steals every scene he's in. Yeah. Well, I will say to your point, I, I feel like Batman is one of the few heroes that you really can do that with because... If you did the same thing with Superman or The Flash, it's like they have these weird powers that I need to see to understand the context of versus like there's this vagueness to this this person who is truly just a human. But when you eliminate seeing him in action, it, it does sort of turns him into this mythical figure almost in the way they talk about him. Any specific thoughts on Keaton as our Bruce Wayne and as our Batman specifically? I mean, I love Michael Keaton. I think he's a great actor. That being said, I've always stood by that. I think I like his Batman better than I like his Bruce Wayne, if only for the fact that the way that I picture Bruce Wayne in my head is Michael Keaton is not a conventionally attractive man. Hmm. And so this kind of like billionaire or millionaire playboy, you know, he's become a billionaire over the years because of inflation. But this billionaire playboy kind of angle that they always put on Bruce Wayne. I can't say he's a womanizer, but he's he's a ladies man. Mm -hmm. So I just can't see that for a Michael Keaton type. I love that they cast him. Yeah. Because they could have, there's so many other people they could have cast at the time. Of course, we see how they eventually progressed through Batmans over the years to Val Kilmer and sure. then uh, George Clooney, etc. More conventionally attractive men. But that mm -hmm. being said, just for the, um, the usage of stereotypes in this case doesn't follow through with my brain to understand how this man is... Bruce, the Bruce Wayne of, right. uh, of the Wayne family empire kind of thing. And and, and Michael Keaton's short. <laughs> oh, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, we do get the one party scene, right? But I, I'm trying to think of other instances where we see him being that socialite, you know, ladies, ladies man. I don't think, I don't think we really get to see much of that to, to that, to your point. I think, and I agree with just about everything that was just said, but I think it worked for me. This is a Bruce Wayne who, even in the film, they acknowledge nobody really knows him. I remember the scene where like, they first acknowledge, where he introduces himself as Bruce Wayne. And it's like, oh, you're Bruce Wayne. And he doesn't like, he's not very outgoing in this. And I think that's what they were going for and worked for what they were going with. It's, it's an interesting take. I, I think there, personally, I, I think there is something to the alter ego of Bruce Wayne being this, hey, I'm I'm where the party is. But it was an interesting way to take this initial film in the canon here. Um, before we move on to the next installment, if you wouldn't mind ranking this film as either never watch, skippable, worth watching, or must watch, I personally hesitate giving it a must watch. It's somewhere between a must watch and a worth watch. It's definitely worth watching. Completely. Because you also get Billy D. Williams. Right. <laughs> Which is like, I'm, I'm down. Right. <laughs> I love, love right. Billy D. So. As someone who's not as much in the comics, uh, uh, I've heard that there's a, there's a new line of comics based on this movie and that Billy D gets his due in, in the comics. So right. plug for that. I love that. So across the board, are we all worth watching? Is that where we're sort of settling? I'll go worth watching. Yeah, it's, it's definitely worth watching. I definitely watching. say that. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Next one up, we got Batman Returns. Following the events of the last movie, 1992's Batman Returns once again features Michael Keaton as the titular hero. The movie begins with the journey of Oswald Cobblepot, as played by Danny DeVito. Born to wealthy parents, as an infant, Oswald is cast out, being put into a basket and set into a stream, floating away. He's abandoned due to his deformity and odd, violent tendencies. The basket floats down the river, through the sewers, and eventually arrives at the penguin habitat at the abandoned Gotham Zoo. We cut to present day as Gotham prepares for the Christmas season. We meet a corrupt business tycoon named Max Shrek, 
as played by Christopher Walken. Upon finding out about Oswald Cobblepot's misfortune, having now grown up with only the penguins as his family, Cobblepot re-enters society. He sees an opportunity to gain political power. With Shrek's support, Oswald begins a campaign to run for mayor of Gotham City. At the same time, Selina Kyle, as played by Michelle Pfeiffer, is Shrek's secretary. When she gets a glimpse of Shrek's scheme, he resorts to blackmailing and otherwise getting her out of the picture. In doing so, she undergoes a transformation and eventually becomes Catwoman. Batman must find a way to thwart Shrek and Cobblepot, also known as the Penguin, as he also navigates how best to work with Catwoman. Coming off of the last film, uh, you know, we, we definitely had a lot of time with uh, the Joker, and, and uh, we're dealing with a, a Gotham rid of him for the time. I personally think this second movie is an improvement upon the the original Batman. It's definitely a lot more Tim Burdeny, if that's hmm. a if I can adjectivize that or okay. a word to adjectivize. You can, and I co-sign. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a lot of. There's a lot of things happening at once in this movie. <laughs> um, we've got penguins. We've got cats. Um, Zuri, what are the highlights for you? Life's a bitch and so am I. Yes. Highlight. <laughs> oh. Michelle Ooh. Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. Give her another, I don't know, like an award of some kind. What are the superhero movie awards? We need to figure. I, I know, have just some for ceremony. that. At this yeah. point, there's so many movies. You could just have it for superhero movies. And I'd be like, sure. Truly. That movie, like, as I said, it's the thing I will always remember about, like, my first Batman experiences <laughs> is Danny DeVito. Oh my goodness. This tiny man, Danny DeVito in real life is a very small man, but then of course, mm -hmm. like in the context of a movie, they make him look even sm like smaller and kind of like grotesque and the hands and the, they really le leaned into the whole penguin of it all. Just <laughs> truly biting like like into the, the, the bloody, yes. Wild. Oh. It's gruesome. I want to know what that actually was, first of all. What was he eating? <laughs> um, that's a question that I will ask Danny DeVito if I ever meet him. That's, um, yeah. I love it. It is a perfect balance. I don't know if perfect, but it's a great balance between campy as F, hmm. but still with that kind of uh, dark... Uh, tenor and kind of uh, under rumbling that we got from the first one. Uh, yes. the, the clowns pop popping out of uh, sewage <laughs> and like, yeah. and the plot line about the old money that the cobble pots kind of come from yes. and how they gave away their, or threw away their child right. and that kind of weird Prince of Egypt. <laughs> what a comparison. Absolutely. Floating in a basket. That's oh the first time I saw floating in a basket. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Like <laughs> little little cobble pot, oh my little cobble pot just floating away to the promised land, which that was all these penguins who the, took care the of him. Promised land, yeah. The, oh the, who just took care of him, and honestly, what I love is the little penguins just bringing him into the ocean or to mm. the water, and I'm like, this is so cute, but like it's really morbid sad. and sweet. I think dark camp is is exactly the vibe because I think when you have superhero franchises there's especially when you think of the mcu there's a lot of quippiness there's a lot of like light goofy camp but like this is camp paired with greasy grotesqueness at mm -hmm. times and i think it, it gives this film a very distinct identity um i personally if we're just talking the older films i i think this is the one to recommend out of the bunch personally Absolutely. i give this one a must watch is is what i'm leaning toward I just think the the villain choices and the and the choices the actors playing them make are just so unique and iconic performances that are worth checking out. Keaton's fine. It's not about him. But it's not about no, him. Yeah. I, this is yeah. where I start to have like hindsight twenty twenty. Mm -hmm. This is where I start to have a problem with that. Mm. Um, because it's fine for the first movie, but this is where this is where we are now in contemporary Batman times, where they're like, "Look at the villains," and I'm like, "Okay, but." <laughs> But the Batman, <laughs> can we talk we about what, know he, what's up with him. what his function is in all of this? What I think is so interesting about Bruce Wayne Batman as a character is like why he's doing this. And I think obviously the newest installment we will get to gives him such an interesting 
questioning of what brought him to this point. Um, but it's just like, if you want that kind of contextual background, maybe these older movies aren't for you, to be honest. Um, but if you don't mind suspending a little bit of that and enjoying some grotesque camp, um, this movie might be your cup of tea. Yeah, I'm personally giving it a must watch. Uh, Garrett, what do you what do you give Batman Returns? I, I think I'm also going to give it a must watch, if only for the spectacle of it. True. Well, not if only, but <laughs> one of many things. Absolutely. Yeah. Azuri, what, what do you um, think? Yeah, I'm going to say must watch because, again, just picture what I can remember all pictures. Selena being licked by the cats when she's pushed out of the window. The, uh, Selena drinking milk and then like destroying her apartment. All mm. of these things are insane. Yeah. By themselves. The rubber ducks. Uh, Max, Max Shrecky? Shrek, is that his name? Uh, um, Shrek. It's Shrek. Which Shrek, is just kind Shrek. of funny. Post ogre context in, in the right. 2000s, but you know, yeah. Um, but yeah, Max Shrek and uh, the Christopher Walken of it all. Like, mm-hmm. there's just there's so much there's so much to uh, little morsels in this movie that yeah. like, if you ever want to understand why some of these people have careers, you have to watch this movie. <laughs> Absolutely, these are these are career defining performances, especially for the the two villains. Must watches across the board. All right, we're in agreement for the most part, starting off here. Um, We're gonna jump to Batman Forever. The Batman franchise sees a change in directors with Tim Burton's Gotham being handed over to director Joel Schumacher for the next two movies, starting with 1995's Batman Forever. The series also has a change in its title character with Val Kilmer stepping into the role of Bruce Wayne slash Batman. The film begins with the Dark Knight facing off against Gotham's former district attorney, Harvey Dent, played by Tommy Lee Jones, having been disfigured and transformed into the criminal mastermind Two-Face. As that conflict escalates, the vigilante's alter ego Bruce still has to run Wayne Enterprises. One of his employees, Edward Nigma, as played by Jim Carrey, presents the billionaire with an invention that can beam television signals directly into a person's brain. Bruce rejects this device due to concerns that this technology has the potential to also manipulate minds. He then fires Nigma. This rejection sends Nigma over the edge. He begins to use his invention to feed off the minds of innocent Gotham citizens, growing more and more powerful as he begins his transformation into the iconic villain, the Riddler. As Riddler and Two-Face terrorize Gotham, Batman is pushed to his limit. When the villains eventually team up, our hero finds allies of his own to confide in. Dr. Chase Meridian, as played by Nicole Kidman, a psychologist who eventually finds herself developing feelings for our protagonist, and a recently orphaned trapeze artist named Dick Grayson, as played by Chris O'Connell, who eventually adopts the moniker of Robin. So we do not have Michael Keaton anymore. We have moved on to Val Kilmer. I mean, this film, I would argue, focuses slightly more on his home life and Alfred and the introduction of a Robin and his backstory. So we get a little bit more about that. But truly, the focus, once again, goes to our villain villains, rather, with uh, Riddler and Two-Face. I think there are people who hate this movie. I think there's people who are able to enjoy this movie just for the sheer goofiness of Jim Carrey as the Riddler. Um, And Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face. Now, okay, Tommy Lee Jones, I feel like Tommy Lee Jones got bored (laughs) midway through. Like, he's just sort of there. (laughs) Jim Carrey's giving 200%, and Tommy Lee Jones is just sort of like, I'm here. I'm in weird. No, makeup. that's two hundred percent for Tommy Lee Jones. If you watch, if you compare Tommy Lee Jones's movies and how he usually performs in them, that is two hundred and fifty percent for that I Tommy guess. Lee Jones. Because let's let's use Agent K and, and, and Men in Black as the prime example of who Tommy Lee Jones is as an actor, sure. which is very dry and very like. Like, hey, Slick, I'm going to talk very even and monotone. And then he's Two-Face and he's like, (laughs) that's that's crazy for him. He was doing the most for himself. But like by comparison to Jim Carrey, 200% of Jim Carrey is like too much. It's a lot. So it's really hard to compare 
those two actors because them at their base level is very different. I think to see them right next to each other for the majority of like their, you know, shtick, it's, it is a weird contrast to see the two performances. My take is if anyone could pull this material off, Jim Carrey's the person to do it. With what they were going with, the best choice for the actor, it is Jim Carrey for that role, for what they went for. Tommy Lee Jones, that was definitely him doing 200%, just like you were saying. Yeah, yeah, strong. And apparently he hated it. He hated doing oh, uh, that Yeah, role. I remember reading that. He hated yeah. it. Oh. Also, Drew Barrymore is in the movie. She is in this movie. We... She is Sugar? That is her name, Sugar. And, she is Sugar. Uh, who is she? What does Drew Barrymore do? She's like, she works with them. That's right. Yeah, she's she's Sugar, and then there's Spice, but I don't know who, who Spice, Spice is. And she's Oh, yeah, that was like a random face popping. I was like, oh, yeah, there's Drew Barrymore. Like, whoa, okay. Yeah. So you're like, oh. Not sure. Oh. <laughs> but before we get too distracted by the villains, which does seem appropriate for this movie, we should address the fact that we have a new actor playing Batman. How do we feel about Val Kilmer as Bruce Wayne? Um, I'm just going to start off by saying I didn't understand the choice of giving Bruce glasses. Like, just in general. Like, hmm. I'm like, why? <laughs> oh, oh, look. Like, it's like Jamie Foxx in Amazing Spider-Man 2. Oh, he's his glasses. Yes. I guess he's a nerd now. Like, he's not what? like just, the like... other Bruce Wayne. Oh, my goodness. So freaking weird. <laughs> oh, like, what quirky. a weird choice. Yeah, it's so quirky. Um, but but also, I think it's weird that he was blonde. This is a weird thing that hmm. I have. <laughs> Huh. I it mean, just it didn't lend itself to like dark and brooding. I guess. If I'm remembering correctly, Nicole Kidman was his therapist. Yeah. And one of the most interesting aspects about this film for me is how they actually tried to delve into Bruce Wayne as a character. I'm not sure if they pulled it off. Not really. <laughs> but they definitely <laughs> tried. I appreciate the attempt. I appreciate the trying to get another <laughs> angle at why he does what he does. I think this was a out of these films, the first sort of swing toward that, but it sort of gets lost in the Jim Carrey of it all, I, I think. Oh, completely. Yeah, he completely, for good and bad, chews that scenery in that movie yes. um, and t overtakes anybody, whatever anybody else was attempting to do. Um, what I think happened is that they, the camp that I think they found a good balance of in the last movie, mm -hmm. they went too far with it, with this movie. Yeah. Um, and and then continued to do so, honestly, <laughs> like mm. over time. But, yeah. um, but as it pertains to Jim Carrey's portrayal of the Riddler, I like it. Jim Carrey did like four or five big movies during this time period. Yes. And he was one of the biggest movie stars and so they knew they were going in a more comedic route right. with the Riddler so they were like well obviously we're going to hire Jim Carrey yeah. <laughs> like, who, else are, who else were they going to hire and so it, it, you know it would have been different like if they had decided to do this which it would have been a completely different movie but uh, big movie stars that were comedic at the time uh, Eddie Murphy they could have made a completely different choice but they chose Jim Carrey Right, right. Well, I just think, I, I think his frenetic energy and just this, he perfectly embodies this person whose brain is just unraveling and pinging all over the place as, you know, he's slowly being manipulated by his, his creation. Yeah, so before jumping to the last of this era of films, um, Batman Forever, what do you get? Is it a worth watching? Is it skippable? I'm sort of in the middle. I, I think it leans more skippable unless you really want to see this Jim Carrey performance. But that's, I think that's where I land. Skippable at the end of the day. I, I would say skippable unless you're a big Jim Carrey fan. In which case it's a good watch. Okay, worth watch. So same sort of teeter-totter, but at, skippable is where you sort of land with the wing toward Jim Carrey. Yeah, because the focus of this movie is really Jim Carrey. So if that's your cup of tea then this is worth watching. If not, it's skippable. Yeah. I th I generally agree. I, th I think it's skippable in general. What I love about this era of Batman films is that it still feels comic booky to some extent. It looks, there's the colors pop. And I can imagine these characters being in a comic book, which I can't say the same for some of the newer iterations, even the ones that I like, where I'm like, this is just like, a, a movie yeah. as opposed to like a comic book. But yeah, I'm going to say skippable. Skippable, skippables across the board. Um, 
well, you know, Zuri, it's almost like from the past they heard you say this and they were like, you want comic booky? You want goofy? Let's give you Batman and Robin. <laughs> they took that note in the wrong direction, I would say. Batman and Robin, released in 1997, is the final live-action depiction of Batman in the 90s. With another casting change, George Clooney is the third live-action actor to play Batman in film, while Chris O'Donnell returns as Robin. As Batman and Robin experience some growing pains trying to work together, they are met by a cacophony of villains. We first meet a scientist turned criminal, whose dialogue consists of countless ice puns that Snowbuddy asked for, Dr. Victor Freeze, as played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. He evades the dynamic duo with a sack of diamonds. He has become dependent on these crystals to power a cryosuit that keeps his body temperature at zero degrees. This necessity was the result of an accident at his cryogenics lab while attempting to find the cure for a disease called McGregor's syndrome, a terminal illness which his currently cryogenically frozen wife suffers from. Meanwhile, in South America, unrelated to any of this, a mad scientist is experimenting with a venom drug. His assistant Pamela, as played by Uma Thurman, witnesses the implementation of this serum, creating a hulking super soldier dubbed Bane. An argument over the use of this drug results in a variety of toxins being spilled on Pamela, transforming her into the now alluring Poison Ivy. She kills the mad scientist with a kiss and decides to jet off to Gotham City with her monstrous muscle man, Bane. In addition to all of that, Bruce Wayne's butler's niece, once again, that is the niece of Alfred Pennyworth, Bruce Wayne's butler, Barbara Wilson makes a visit and is invited to stay at Wayne Manor until she goes back to school. It is also revealed that Alfred is also dying of McGregor's syndrome. And so Batman and Robin must handle all of this, facing off against Poison Ivy, Bane, Mr. Freeze, and his myriad of ice skating, hockey stick wielding goons. I told you, they just kept going. They were like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> and also we can sell the action figures and they look like this. All Aren't right. they crazy? And Mr. Freeze shoots boop, boop. Oh my like, goodness. And we want his <laughs> he, we want his goons to like snowboard and we want the skateboarding scene with Robin. And it's- You it's, look at that Batmobile and tell me that wasn't a toy first. That is, that's not a Batmobile. That is a oh, Happy Meal toy. That is a- that, It was a hundred percent a toy first that yeah. I definitely had at some point in my life. Sure, uh, or oh, my, absolutely. My, or technically my brother had it and like, like, but we shared. Ah, uh, gender toys. toys. So. What a thing. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, man, yeah, what a misfire. Honestly, what a waste of George Clooney. What a, th there's just, there's so many misfires that it is a funny watch for sure. Um, you know, bat nipples on the costume, bat credit. Like, it's so ridiculous. Um, I, it, it certainly was going for a certain kind of camp, but it completely lost the dark camp that we loved so much in Batman Returns that I think the darkness is gone and it's just squeaky, shiny, flashy Pappy Meal toys. Um, yes, and then they added like the weird, uh, the, the the weird dynamic of uh, uh, Robin and Batgirl yeah. in this was just like, I was like, where is this coming from? <laughs> like, because based off of the last thing we watched, I don't know where this is coming from. And she was Alfred's niece. Yes, yes, and, and I was then like, there's a whole. St <laughs> I think on top of the the visual, like trying to make too many toys, they're also just trying to do too many things because while like Freeze is trying to do his whole heist thing for his wife, and Poison Ivy's doing this other thing with Bane, meanwhile. Alfred's dying and like we needed another plot line to throw in there apparently like there's just so much happening at once yes. and uh, that's part of what makes it such a mess in my opinion yes it is fascinating that GCPD during all of these movies is not really a thing true yeah not not really like I mean you, you see, see you extras see. in the background but yeah the funniest part to me is he's in a car and he's speeding down and his car gets hit and he immediately calls Batman because he's like well <laughs> yeah. my job is done right right 
Oh, it, it's crazy. It, they really crippled the the GCPD in the earlier iterations to the point where they were. It was a. It's just like a joke at that point. Yeah. It's like what what is your purpose? Batman is the one who's actually manning everything, I guess. Which yeah, and we don't really explore their opinion of it. Like, there's definitely you know down the line, it's like, hey, let us do our job or blah blah, you know, whatever relationship right. with the police that that it, whatever iteration of Batman has at that point. This one, they're just like, yeah, you do it. I don't know. I, I, yeah, it's, it's wild. <laughs> Obviously, we got to highlight Uma, uh, Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy, um, doing the best with what she can with a, I feel, very poorly written character that's two-dimensional. Making a lot of people's very wet dreams come to life. <laughs> right, right. And it's just, there's a lot, there's no depth really there's this vague environmentalism and also again she's a nerd she's wearing glasses oh my god oh. and now she's sexy no glasses because people with glasses can't possibly be sexy <laughs> yeah it's it's wild and bane is literally just he's just a stretched armstrong like he yeah. there's no development there i am no. so angry at this film because <laughs> of bane true because i loved the character of Bane. Mm. I do love Bane. Nightfall, I think, is one of the best Batman stories out there. And I feel like somebody heard like a telephone game of what this character is and then said, <laughs> oh, so he's strong? Oh, so he's super dumb and just moves stuff, right? <laughs> Great. And that's why he fights Batman. Yeah, I guess. Well, that's why he fights Batman. <laughs> meanwhile, uh, meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, no. Um, meanwhile, the, our other villain, so Mr. Freeze, he's just... Once again, I feel like Arnie's doing the best he can with this material. I just don't think he's not the Jim Carrey that saves this vehicle. I just don't think he gives as strong of a performance as Jim Carrey. He's doing the best he can, but that being said, Arnold Schwarzenegger is a terrible actor. Yes, I was shying. So, I was shy to say that, but yes, you oh, are correct. I don't shy away from That's, this. The, 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 he's a bad actor. He, is. He, is a, he was a wonderful Terminator because he didn't say very many words, and when he was given words to say, they were very straight, right. and he's a robot, great because that's exactly how he was acting like a robot um <laughs> he has no concept of um the emotive range of a character such as dr slash mr slash victor freeze right, right, right. I, we see him emotionlessly pine over his wife and it's just it falls so flat um, I feel like we I am glad he had an accent, though. Like, I'm yeah. glad they were like, let's Doctor Freeze. He's from somewhere. Yeah, let's do. <laughs> well, I also feel like um, I don't. I don't know Arnie's um, arsenal of of accent work that he's done. Oh, and if he, I think that's just sort of what we we got. Unfortunately, oh, a hundred percent. But I do like that. It does they, add a flavor because they, they could have cast. A, uh, again, they could have cast a random actor that was just straight American speech-wise and yada, yada, yada. And th that movie would have been even worse and m probably boring. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, honestly. But at, at least with, like, the, the, the uh, what's the word? Like, or oratorical difference? Is that a word? I don't oratorical. know. Oratorical. Like, like, just sound difference. Yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, at least there was like, oh, okay, we know what's happening on screen. It's this man that has a crazy accent. And, right. Um, yada, yada, yada. Great. Austria. Freeze. Is there anything else we need to hit from this movie? Clooney, I, you know, it's bad dialogue. He does his best with it. Considering, like, one of the first lines he gives is, Hi, Freeze. I'm Batman. Fair enough. Yeah, I, Fair I enough. think they failed. I think that George Clooney is a decent Bruce Wayne. Mm -hmm. I don't like him as Batman. Also, I love his voice. I love the, the tone and timbre of his voice. Mm. I will say. Yeah. Like, just generally speaking. I can imagine that voice if they had done something different with the Batman part of it. Yes. But he has a really great Bruce Wayne voice. Absolutely. He's suave. Like, he could Very absolutely... Suave. He would be a great... Honestly compared to a later Batman who's older. I feel like he could be that older, seasoned Batman, but unfortunately we did not get that here. I'm tempted to give this a never watch, unless it's ironic. Like, an ironic viewing of a terrible <laughs> movie can be fun, but in reality, if you've never watched one of these movies, please do not watch Batman and Robin. That is that is my take. Uh, it's not even, like, a so bad it's good, like The Room or something. It's just bad. It, it's it's pretty... I, it can be fun at times, but I think it, it is a hard pill to swallow watching this movie. Uh, Zuri, what do you what do you rank this movie? Um, Yeah, I'm going to say never watch. Uh, I, uh, 
I haven't watched it in God knows how long. So. I had to rewatch that for because uh, I, I watched all of these leading up to this. Of, of course I, you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Garrett, what is your ranking for this one? I'm gonna say never watch. Never watch. All right, never watches across the board. We are now going to dive into the three theatrically released Batman films that are animated. And they could not be more different in tone, art style, and intended audience, as two of them are rated PG and one is rated R. The first of our theatrically released Batman movies is 1993's Batman Mask of the Phantasm. From the creative team of Batman the Animated Series comes a story where a new vigilante enters Gotham. The mysterious phantasm goes on a killing spree targeting prominent mobsters. The Gotham police wrongly implicate Batman, voiced by Kevin Conroy, for these murders, which of course he would never commit due to his strict moral code of never taking a life. Our hero must discover the identity of the masked phantasm on a mystery that brings him face to face with a lost love, the Joker, voiced by Mark Hamill, and all of the decisions that led Bruce Wayne to become Batman almost a decade ago. Mask of the Phantasm, brought to you by the same folks who brought you Batman the Animated Series. Um, as I vaguely referenced before, my darkest shame, my deepest regret in life is that I have not watched Batman the Animated Series up to this point. Um, but that being said, I was able to come at this movie with like a with a fresh perspective having not had any prior expectation. Talk about a take Kevin on Kevin Conroy. Kevin Conroy. Talk about Kevin Conroy. Please don't do. mind if I jump do. right in. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Listen, I could talk about Kevin Conroy till the cows come home. That's all I think about is like what's Kevin Conroy doing right now? <laughs> um, I love Kevin Conroy. I love Batman the Animated Series, if only because of Kevin Conroy. Um, but, um, yeah, I think that he, his voice is so, voice acting is hard. As someone is, who's been getting into voice acting the last few years, voice acting is really hard. It's really hard to convey um, emotion fully and without use of your face yeah. um, to show what you're thinking or how you're feeling. And the fact that he's A, able to do that basic, like the technique of it all, but also mm -hmm. that he has this like really guttural, throaty voice that he is able to switch between Bruce Wayne and Batman, because Bruce Wayne is a little higher in his speaking pattern, but still low enough that you can see where his Batman voice comes from. Right. And it's just so, it's it's just such good voice work that I just need to like give my like, my flowers and my kudos to <laughs> to that, because I when I think Batman, I think Kevin Conroy. I, I, an excellent, honestly, arguably one of the best Bruce Waynes that, that we've got. Um, I, I can't definitively say that having not seen the full body of work, but based on what I've seen, uh, incredible. Um, Garrett, what are your highlights from this installment? So this is my favorite Batman movie. All right. Um, I'm just going to come out right out and say it. I think mainly because I think this is the most faithful adaptation of Batman we have ever gotten. I feel like this was a comic and they just completely adapted it like beat for beat and i think part of that comes from the fact that it's the animated series everybody on that show knew what they were doing they knew these characters they knew them inside and out and i think one of the most amazing parts about this film is they didn't have to do any setup work it's just like a two-hour version of an episode hmm. a very good episode mind yeah. you but um they didn't really have to do any setup it's just immediately boom Here's Batman. He's chasing after people. Here's the mystery. Joker's there somewhere. You never know where he could be. And oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and the way that he is in there is, is oh, so yeah. well done. And Mark Hamill as the Joker. Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill are the voices I hear whenever I think Batman and Joker. Yeah, of course. Hmm. Mark Hamill is amazing. Kevin Conroy is amazing. Everybody is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Andrea Romano, because uh, you best believe I pay attention to who does the voice direction or cast yeah. or whatever. Andrea Romano, who was working for Warner Brothers at the time, she did the casting for like Animaniacs and like oh any, anything that was happening on Warner Brothers at the time. Hmm. But um, she 
is so good at her job or like it's it's really the people that she got and the performances that she got out of them mm-hmm. is just like i have to like i'm gonna say it's like 50 percent her work honestly Truly. in terms of like who she got um and of course like when you listen to mark hamill tell the story about like how he was like how he rehearsed for the joker or, like for his audition or whatever he was like in the car like laughing to himself or whatever Ooh. and mm. it's very clear his inspiration is so clear because I love Yellow Submarine, the Beatles movie. And it's very clear that he based it off of the blue meanie, who, the main blue meanie who is in uh, the Yellow Submarine movie because that's how he talks. Like if you watch, rewatch that movie or if you've never watched it, you should watch I it. Not. Um, it's it, Yeah, you have to watch it because the blue meanie, he's blue. He has a big red grin and he, talk, he talks pretty much exactly how the Joker talks. You'll be shocked. You'll be like, whoa, that's exactly the same voice. All right. <laughs> With a slight British accent and hmm. like uh, high, high camp, high like um, American standard English kind of voice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Mask of the Phantasm is a great movie though. I think I wa- mm. rewatched it uh, within the last couple of years because mm-hmm. it was, again, I was just like, I'm going to sit and watch Batman movies because I got nothing to do. Uh, but yes. um, <laughs> Mask of the Phantasm is, uh, is really well executed. Absolutely. I think, I think the biggest thing that I, my takeaway from this is compared to all the live action ones, it really does delve into who Bruce Wayne is, what motivates him, giving some semblance of what does it take to choose this life of being Batman versus what are you giving up? You don't see a lot of that in certain iterations. It's just the sort of like, it's a thing I have to do. It was nice to see him sort of weigh his options and be like, what, yeah, what path do I want to take? So for this movie, I I really want to try and be stringent with my must watches um i'm just gonna give it a very 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 strong worth watching um especially if you want me a gateway to the animated series i would highly recommend this movie garrett i i will assume the same from or or an even higher rating since this is your favorite oh this is a must watch okay (laughs) i if only there's a scene in a graveyard and it's cinema Mm. and it's amazing and that is all i will say it is cinema cinema. it is Um, cinema uh, Zuri, where do you land between worth watching, must watch? I think I think the animated series is a must watch. I think that this is worth watching. Okay. Because you get pretty much everything you get in Batman the animated series. You get condensed into this like two hour experience, more or less. Yeah, I'm gonna land on. Uh, wait, what did I worth, say? I worth watching. The, worth watching. I was like, what worth, are the words? Worth, worth watching, watching this movie. Must watch the series. Yes, must watch the series. Before we move on to the other animated ones, I will pose this question to the two of you, having watched the animated series. If someone came to you and was like, hey, do I watch Batman movies or do I watch the animated series? Which do you recommend as an initial introduction? The animated series. Okay. Oh, completely. So please disregard the rest of this episode. Just go watch the animated <laughs> series. That's what I've just learned. Yes. Bruce, Bruce Tim. Paul Dini and Bruce Tim, the work that they put into the animated series is just n- nothing short of genius for me hmm. because they took what was happening with the movies but then planted them firmly in its own reality with the same tone because again we had Danny Elfman <laughs> do the music so Dun, great he's Dun, back Dun, do, Dun, just Dun. oingo boingoing his way through <laughs> the cinematography yeah. um but I think that the combination of their powers combined and the knowledge that they had, the breadth of knowledge they have about Batman is so clear. They gave us Harley Quinn. What can I tell you? Right, right. Like, I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> like, yeah. they gave us Harley Quinn. We would not have some, the, the last, uh, I guess, thir- like almost 30 years of material that Harley Quinn or, uh, you know, they've, they've invented quite a few um of the rogues gallery, but some really great rogues gallery that they've created from the animated series. And you have to watch the series to know where it starts. I will. I will have to. (laughs) Um, And I will report back once, once I've done so. Yay. Our second animated entry released in 2016 is the R rated Batman, the killing joke based on source material that puts the graphic in graphic novel. The movie opens with Batman, once again voiced by Kevin Conroy, working with Barbara Gordon, aka Batgirl, 
voiced by Tara Strong. Batgirl is becoming increasingly reckless in the pursuit of a criminal named Paris Franz, nephew of Gotham City's biggest crime boss. As she repeatedly puts herself in harm's way, Batman tells Batgirl to stay off of this case, which makes her feel as though he can't trust her. So, to prove her capabilities, she makes the brilliant decision to betray his trust and work on the case anyway. This leads to the conflict between our crime fighters escalating to a point where, in the heat of the moment, they, and I'm not kidding, are intimate on a rooftop. As much as I try to stay away from spoilers, and some may see that as a solid one, uh, the issue is that this all happens very quickly, and more importantly, this all happens before any of the plot of the killing joke actually begins. None of what I've described so far is in the original Killing Joke graphic novel. Uh, it is only after this case of Paris Franz is very abruptly resolved and this strange, unrelated storyline comes to a sudden close that the actual plot of the Killing Joke begins. It almost feels like two completely different episodes of a television show. So here is the synopsis of the actual Killing Joke storyline. At a crime scene, Batman sees signs of the Joker's involvement, who is once again voiced by Mark Hamill. When it's discovered that the clown prince of crime has slipped out of Arkham Asylum, Batman desperately attempts to figure out the criminal mastermind's motives. The crimes of the Joker that follow are incredibly graphic in nature. A violent attack on the Gordon family, psychological torture, implied sexual assault, and worse all intercut with the backstory of a failing stand-up comedian who can't provide for his family. As Batman does everything in his power to stop the Joker, horrific acts are committed to prove the Joker's twisted point to the people of Gotham, that anyone can be pushed to the brink, break their code, and it'll drive them just as insane as he is. In the animated releases, jumping forward a little bit, we have a film adaptation of Batman the Killing Joke, which, once again, my other less shameful Boot. thing <laughs> is that I I wasn't as much of a comics reader. And so this is one of those comics that everyone is like, the killing joke, the killing joke, the killing joke. Having not read it and watching this, I was very confused for the first third of it. And then once we got to the Joker, I was like, okay, this must be what the comic is. Correct. Turns out they just added an extra third at the beginning because they felt that the way they handled that girl's uh, fate in this movie was a little too... Uh, she was used as a prop, but that meant having to add a bunch of stuff that didn't really help. I mean, the way that I see this movie and the way that most people, I when, we, when I read about it online, is that... Bruce Tim had a fan theory. This was fan fiction that was just bad. Yes. This was bad fan fiction. Yes. And um, he just wanted to see it come to fruition, and good for him. I'm glad he saw, saw his project come to light. But it was it was not my cup of tea. I did not like... I, I know that it happens at some point, but in the context of The Killing Joke, I think introducing the plot line of Barbara and Bruce sleeping together was stupid as F. Um... And I was like, boo. <laughs> it just felt creepy, to be honest. It felt, I mean, the power dynamic involved there was a little questionable. And it just, it made me uncomfy. <laughs> right. But, and what I love, I love Oracle. I, I don't like that they've deleted Oracle since, basically. Um, there's a, the whole conversation being had about that, too. But um, this, uh, this being her origin story, mm -hmm. basically is really important and okay. so i think they kind of muddied the waters by introducing this other plot line the killing joke as a comic book is a great comic book it's a it's a great graphic novel it's pretty much a it's a one-off and so i i enjoyed the journey of that particular i i know three batman comics like the back of my hand mm -hmm. and that's the long halloween uh that's the killing joke and that's um, Arkham Asylum, A Serious House on a Serious Earth. Okay. Um, those are the three that I like know, um, and that I um, that I rock with, as it hmm. were. And so, yeah, I just think that this was like a bad, just so many bad decisions. And I think the animation was actually not good. 
Yeah, I was surprised at that at, at the animation quality. It was very shoddy. Especially coming from, because I did watch them in this order, coming from the bit of uh, Mask of the Phantasm, Batman the Animated Series, like, beautifully done. What happened? That was 15 years prior, plus. This felt like a made-for-TV, <laughs> like, Saturday morning cartoon, but it was rated R uh, quality. Um, Garrett, do you have anything to add as far as the misfires in this adaptation? This movie is not good. Okay. <laughs> That's it. That is a well very put. simple way to put it. Yeah. The Killing Joke, the comic, is about 40 pages. They turned it into an hour and a half movie by adding in about a, right. a, an hour to that. Yeah. 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 When they do have what was the Killing Joke, that is the strongest part of the movie. Yeah. Because it's the Killing Joke. Yeah. The rest of it is not the Killing Joke, and it's bad. <laughs> Okay, there you go. Um, I assume uh, never watches across the board, or do we have a skippable thrown in there? Never watch. Never watch. Just, just, just don't read it. Just, just read, read it. The, the just read the graphic novel. We end this half of the roundtable with the final theatrically released animated film, 2017's The Lego Batman Movie. After Lego Batman's appearance in 2014's The Lego Movie which I must mention is surprisingly delightful, we are treated to a take on Batman that is goofy and holds very little reverence for a lot of what's come before, poking fun at a lot of the strangeness and absurdities that come with the premise of this grown billionaire dressed as a bat. To an extent that the majority of live action films don't even explore, this film focuses on Batman's fear of letting people in. He's had the opportunity to be part of a team in the previous Lego movie and as part of the Justice League, whom he hasn't stayed in contact with. But instead, he chooses a life of solitude and is in denial about how utterly lonely that is. Even in his exchanges with the Joker, voiced by Zach Galifianakis, who takes great pride in his rivalry with Batman, our hero denies that even that relationship holds any significance in his life, which of course deeply hurts the clown's feelings. We see our hero, hilariously voiced by Will Arnett, return home after battle to an empty Batcave, with only his AI he calls Pewter there to greet him. His butler Alfred, voiced by Ray Fiennes, encourages him to attend a gala honoring Commissioner Jim Gordon's retirement as an opportunity to perhaps meet new people. Attending as his Bruce Wayne persona, he mingles with the new commissioner, Barbara Gordon, voiced by Rosario Dawson, and also interacts with and accidentally adopts very sweet orphan Dick Grayson, voiced by Michael Sarah. In a film that utilizes just about every Batman villain in existence and beyond, our hero faces the greatest challenge he can possibly imagine, becoming part of a family again. Um, before we go back to live action, the last animated movie I kind of wanted to hit, have y'all seen the Lego Batman movie? Yeah, I've seen yep. it like three times. It's a it's great. So, I think about it. Me and my boyfriend quote it all the time. Oh man, <laughs> constantly. First I, of all, shark repellent. Shark repellent. <laughs> the references. I, 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 this movie. Granted, we we haven't talked about a handful of the films that it references yet, because um, they're because this we're jumping forward a little bit with this movie. But um, I must acknowledge that Batman did appear in the Lego Movie before this, and oh, like yeah. his cameo was very fun, very sweet. Yeah, Will Arnett, great. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's awesome. Everything is awesome in that movie. Uh, but <laughs> we, uh, when we get to this movie, they weirdly do hit a lot of the beats of a good Batman movie and a lot of the themes that I feel like live action movies could explore. Uh, there was the moment when I saw <laughs> the newest Batman, the Batman in theaters, and there was that moment with Alfred and, and um, Bruce being like, you know, it's not like nah. you're my father. You're I, my turned, father. <laughs> I turned my girlfriend and I was like, the only other movie to hit this beat was the Lego Batman it's movie. It's true. It's true. It's so true. You're so right. A hundred percent. It's a fun movie. Odd cameos from alternate universes. Uh, any thoughts on the Lego Batman movie? One of my favorite game creators is Hideo Kojima. And he, his review of the Batman was, I kind of liked the Lego Batman movie more. Huh. And that was his favorite one. Wild. And I was like, that probably says how good this movie is. Oh, I love it so much. It's so good. It's a good time. Oh, what's the part that we quote all the time? Oh, when he's talking to Robin, he's like, can you do this? Can you do this? And then he's like, can you be stealthy? And he says, when I desire to be. 
He just whispers. <laughs> um, and it's Michael Sarah, and it's so funny. Oh, Michael Sarah <laughs> as Robin is brilliant. So good. Uh, oh, that so dad, my, my Bruce Wayne and my bad dad. Just the oh my goodness, him. It's obviously a. I hate to call it a kids movie. It is made for families, but um, but the comedy still really holds, and it's a very fun time. The comedy in this film is so good. It's really good. My favorite line I have to say is. <laughs> Batman lives in Bruce Wayne's basement? No, Bruce Wayne lives in Batman's attic. Yes. (laughs) So good. Again, tapping into the the notion of who is actually, like, theoretically, Batman should have dissociative identity disorder. Yeah. Like, theoretically. But he doesn't. He is too, he he becomes two different people consciously. Mm -hmm. Um, But who is the uh what would the what'd you call it the like the main personality is batman right which is which is wild so for this movie what do we there's a disclaimer you give where it's like it is a family movie but i still say it's a worth watching surprisingly enough yeah it's definitely worth watching worth watching worth watching definitely worth watching worth watchings across the board and with that I hope you enjoyed the first half of this conversation covering the 1990s Tim Burton and Joel Schumacher movies, as well as all the animated entries. Stay tuned for part two, where we go over the other half of Batman's catalog, featuring the Dark Knight trilogy, directed by Christopher Nolan and starring Christian Bale, Batman's appearances in the DC universe, as played by Ben Affleck, as well as the newest release, now available to stream at your heart's content, The Batman, starring Robert Pattinson as Batman. Also be sure to check out the Starter Pack segment at the end of the show, where each panelist narrows down Batman's entire catalog to a suggestion of three films that they feel would best represent Batman to someone who is perhaps unfamiliar with the character. I once again want to thank my panelists, Garrett Murphy, who didn't have social media to plug at the end of part two, but was such a great addition to the conversation, as well as Zuri Washington. You can find her on social media at Zuri with a fringe on top, as well as her own podcast, Super Black, which you can check out at S-U-P-A-B-L-A-C-K podcast. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you check out part two. Be sure to follow the podcast on social media. We are at fandom underscore handbook on all social media. That is at F-A-N-D-O-M underscore H-A-N-D-B-O-O-K. And you can always follow me if you want. I'm simply at Tony Panella. That's just my name. T-O-N-Y-P-O-N-E-L-L-A. A lot of spelling today. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, nerd out. of Alfred Pennyworth, Bruce Butler's, Bruce Wayne's Butler.